0: Welcome to Lunathian, a.k.a. Crescent City, where Bryce Quinlan and her best friend Danica Fender are working women by day, resident party gals by night. An encounter with a night stalker forces Danica to visit Bryce at Griffin Antiquities, where she leaves her weapons and borrows clothes before attending a meeting with the heads of the city. In the early chapters of House and Earth and Blood, where the relationships are plentiful and messy... The scene is set and groundwork laid for the journey of Bryce and those she loves the most.
1: The views expressed by the hosts are entirely their own and in no way represent the thoughts or intentions of the original author.
0: This podcast is a discussion, shared to spark thought and conversation
1: on the characters and themes of this novel. The interpretations presented in this podcast are just a few of the many possibilities. Listeners are encouraged to read along and share their own analysis of the text. Though the hosts speak
0: mostly within the constraints of this book, series and extended universe spoilers may be discussed with or without warning.
1: Explicit language as well as themes of sex, violence, abuse, depression, self-harm, and death will recur throughout this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. As we started recording this season, we realized just how freaking long these episodes were going to be. So we're changing up our format a little bit in a way we hope you'll enjoy. Instead of publishing two plus hours of content at a time, we're going to divide episodes into two parts. The first part published on Tuesday and the second one on Thursday.
0: When we have a shorter episode, we'll give it to you all at once. We may even follow up with a mini episode on Thursdays in those cases. Because you all have been waiting so patiently for this season while we've taken a mini hiatus, we're giving you all of episode one and the first half of episode two. Tune in Thursday for part two of episode two.
1: We're back. We're back. (laughs) Welcome to season five of Book Talk for Book Talk, where we begin our literary analysis of Sarah J. Mass's Crescent City series. For season five, we will be covering A House of Earth and Blood. If you're new to us, here's a little bit about the podcast. Each season,
0: we cover one book and conduct an in-depth literary analysis. We pick two literary lenses through which we review the text, providing two different perspectives of interpretation. Mind you, these are just two of many possible interpretations.
1: When we do a literary analysis, we treat the text as gospel, meaning we take everything at face value and find ways to link the pieces together. We're basically like your high school or college literature class, but in a podcast form.
0: We will do our best to analyze this book in its own silo, meaning you don't need to read any of SJM's other works to listen to the podcast. At the end of the episode, though, we'll get into breadcrumbs, where we'll cover theories and clues for not only the rest of the series, but sometimes the SJM universe.
1: We are human, though, so we may slip up and we apologize now. But we will try our absolute hardest. I will say, I feel like we've improved significantly since season one. So take that. that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At least we've done
0: better. Speaking of season one, two, three, and four, we did an analysis of Sarah J. Mass's A Court of Thorns and Roses series, beginning with Thorns and Roses and all the way through Frost and Starlight. You don't have to have listened to those seasons to listen to this current season, but we definitely recommend them anyway if you're an ACOTAR fan. Or if you're
1: not an guitar fan and you just want to give us the downloads. <laughs> we would appreciate that, too. <laughs> we encourage. Now let's discuss the literary lenses that we will be using. I'm Jack, and I'm back using the feminist lens. I'll be analyzing the text through heterogender norms and stereotypes, which in no way reflect my personal views on gender and will only be a tool I use to discuss aspects of this novel. If
0: you could see your own eyes, you go really I just really like, big. I just want people to know. I just want people to know. No way. The,
1: some of the things I say, I'm just like, this hurts me. <laughs> this hurts you.
0: It's just a part of the analysis. It's just the analysis, guys. Well, I'm Amy, and I continue to provide my analysis through a Marxist lens, where I'll view different power dynamics among the characters and the world itself. Although, I might be sprinkling some queer theory in
1: here and there for a little bit of spice. Oh, I know. I <laughs> know. How nerdy are we that we're like, we're going to get real spicy by adding another lens. (laughs) (laughs) This is getting insane, guys. So Amy and I are both going to be sharing that lens, which means three different lenses. Oh, boy. Remember, this is our interpretation of the text. And we, in no way, shape, or form, think that this is the only way to analyze. So please read along with us and email us your interpretations.
0: So here's a little bit about ourselves, who we are, and why we know what we know. Sounds real cocky.
1: I know, right?
0: (laughs) That's all right. I want to start by saying everyone can do a literary analysis. We do not gatekeep. College, no college. Every single one of you can do an analysis, and we encourage you to do so. Let us
1: use our insane amount of college debt to help you get started. I'm Jack. I'm an avid reader, particularly with smut, and I'm a writer with a book on the way. I love Loved literary analysis ever since high school, and that was the only class I liked. I did my bachelor's in creative writing at Arizona State University with Amy and my master's in comparative literature at Queen Mary University of London. I'm Amy, a reader, writer, and
0: passionate literary analyst. I'm also an adrenaline seeker, by which I mean I devour smutty audiobooks on my daily commute. I was about to say, in what world? In what world I did not read your bio? (laughs) And I'm always looking for new recommendations. And also by devour, I mean to speed. I met Jack when we attended the same creative writing bachelor's program, after which I received my master's in education. And I'm happy to report for our regular listeners who are not in the loop, I did read Throne of Glass
1: during our hiatus.
0: I'm officially a completionist. Yay!
1: Quickly, quickly. Did you like it? I loved it. Cool, that's all we're going to give. Yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> this is a long episode. It is. All right, themes that you're going to see in this book. First one, don't judge a book by its cover. The second one, destiny versus predestination. The question we're going to ask ourselves
0: this episode is, does the world building overtake the character and plot
1: development at the start of House of Earth and Blood? Themes we're going to see in this section are establishing dominance and roles.
0: So let's start off chapter one by saying we all know there's a lot of world building going on in the first hundred, two hundred, maybe three hundred pages of this book. That being said, a lot of our analysis is going to be along the same lines. So just be patient.
1: Let me start off by saying that this book is huge and has fallen on my face twice.
0: Oh, were <laughs> you reading in bed? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he was.
0: So the very first line of this book, we start with a wolf. I love to analyze the opening of any book, especially the first sentence, because we all are taught in creative writing that that's where you grab your reader. We can tell by the second sentence of this book that what we may have thought would be terrifying, a.k.a. a wolf, it is in fact mundane. It's just your average Thursday. (laughs) It also gives us a glimpse into the world that is Crescent City from the get-go. Wolves at your front door on a Thursday are normal. Also, I have to point out that SJM loves to have wolves in each of her series. Why is that significant? A wolf is killed in each of her series as well. I can't elaborate since that's a spoiler, but had to put it out there.
1: I did not not put that together. Oh, yeah. That they're all three. Uh, The first time I read Crescent City, I had to reread that first line a dozen times. Oh, really? I was so, like... What I didn't understand what was happening because mm-hmm. I was thinking Akitar. Yeah, no, that's fair. It was done dirty. So, we do a
0: lot of analysis of names in this first episode, and we probably will continue to do so for a few episodes. Let's start out with Bryce. She is our protagonist. I genuinely didn't think Bryce's name would have any sort of relevance, but I was wrong. Yeah. It is Scottish for freckled or blemished. So Bryce does have freckles, but I really want to focus on this idea of being blemished. It perfectly captures Bryce's own mentality about herself, whether or not she's willing to admit that. The question for me is, which is the blemish that Bryce despises? Her human half or her fae half? And that's something we're going to explore a lot this season. I don't know if we'll ever have an answer. I really, I actually do think we come around to it. That she hates both. <laughs> She's she just hates... a self-loathing individual.
1: Right? So I also looked up the meaning of names because we've learned so many times now that SJM is just a master of names. And what would I write? Never leave a name behind. That's my note right <laughs> out there. I 100% think it's important because people can either really like their freckles or hate it. Like I I love freckles, but I know people who have freckles kind of spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to cover it up. And we're going to see Bryce grow to accept herself Mm -hmm. one way or another. But I think it is meaningful. But also, like, Bryce is just such a cool girl name. It really is. Right? Yeah. It's wrong. Like, if I had kids and named her Bryce. No. I watched a TikTok
0: recently where someone's daughter on the screen was Hermione. Really? Yes. You, and I... can, you can name
1: your daughter Bryce. All right. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I am not pregnant this season. Ooh, but maybe next. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: now let's turn to Danica. Danica is Bryce's best friend. What does Danica mean? Also another name I didn't think would have relevance because I had someone work for me whose name was Danica. And it's a pretty name. Didn't think it would mean anything. It means Morning Star. On one hand, cute. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Bryce is Starborn. And Danica's name means Morning Star. Like, it's just cute. They're meant to be. They're both stars. Mm, little stars. On the other hand, this book is also rife with religious imagery. Morning Star in Christianity is associated with Lucifer from the Bible. And that is super curious. No wonder why her pack is named the Pack of Devils. Oh, my God. Lucifer is Satan is the devil. Ah! Yeah, I got goosebumps when I... That's really ah! good. I totally forgot about Pack of Devils. Yeah, right? Morningstar is also a type of weapon, a club with spikes on the end, which honestly sounds like Danica and her personality. Didn't know that was a weapon. It is. It's a medieval weapon. Okay. So why do you think SJM picked the name Danica?
1: Oh, my God. So buckle up. Thank you. I was waiting (laughs) for you. So when I was doing research on this, I was thrown when I initially saw Morningstar because I was like, oh, my God, potentially Lucifer connection. And when I started thinking about it, it made sense. Lucifer was supposed to be God's special little boy, right? And it's like, you know, it was God's favorite, their brightest star, which is why Lucifer is known as Morning Star. And there's actually more links between the planet Venus. Lucifer in Latin is the name for the morning appearance of Venus, hence Morning Star. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is like a one-two punch. Danica is bringing the light for Bryce because literally she helps her with the drop. Mm-hmm. A.K. light it up Danica light it up light it up light it up and we will cry yep. uh, also Danica was Bryce's favorite mm-hmm. and her best friend and as Lucifer fell with God so will Danica with Bryce it's true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the fact that like Morningstar means Venus and like Venus is beauty and love and god like the lo- goddess of love and everything which is going to be a cool contrast with what I'm going to say about Danica later
0: Oh, I can't wait. I, I know nothing, so I'm really excited to hear about it. Yeah,
1: I know. We're doing a different thing this season, guys, where we know less.
0: <laughs> we don't prep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we prep differently.
0: That's fair. So while we're on the topic of Danica, she has amethyst, sapphire, and rose streaks in her hair. I would never call my hair amethyst if I dyed it purple.
1: Sapphire is blue. Blue. Rose is pink. Isn't that the buy flag?
0: Yes, that is in my notes. Shit. (laughs) Uh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Totally okay. That is point two. This is what happens when we
1: don't read each other's (laughs) notes.
0: Point one. Now, this description of amethyst, sapphire, and rose comes from Bryce's perspective. Why not call them purple, blue, and pink? It's way easier. Yeah. It's because Danica, or at least it's because, from my point of view, Danica is the most important person to Bryce. The colors reflect Danica's value to Bryce. Look at how in the next paragraph, quote, Bryce took the liberty of prying Danica's plait free after it got tangled up in Danica's harness. They're practically an old married couple here. And like Bryce loves Danica. So that's why the colors are so elaborate and gem like. And yes, point number two, (laughs) those are bisexual colors. You cannot convince me otherwise. And I will bring that back up in another
1: moment. It's, you know, like it's not just like your interpretation. Bryce flat out says, I love, like, I have no other, I don't have a need for love. Danica's my everything.
0: I forgot how much she said that.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. Stick around, guys, because I do talk a lot about, like, this is a, an extremely toxic codependent relationship.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My last point before you continue, Jack amethyst is also used for clearing your third eye chakra. Mm. Which is important for intuition, just FYI. I feel like that's very apropos for Danica, who's, like, really keen on the scent. Third eye, so between,
1: like, forehead. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. you like that. I want to discuss the initial introduction of these women and what that sets up for us. Bryce is put together. She's dressed up. She has heels on. She's showered. And Bryce is curvy and loves to own it and shows it off, and she's confident. Additionally, she's very passive when it comes to Danica, going along with what Danica suggests, like getting the tattoo and letting Danica always take the lead. Bryce is the ultimate feminine, both in her looks and in her actions. Reminder, guys, this is not my views. These are just, you know, look at the text. In a moment, I'll get into why Danica represents the masculine, but Bryce is like the perfect little picture of the stereotypical feminine, pretty and passive. When you look at SJM's other female leads, sorry to already bring them up, even though we said we weren't going to, but (laughs) this is not a spoiler, but Bryce is, I would say, initially the most feminine.
0: Yeah, out of all of them, I
1: agree. Immediately off the bat. So like, you know, no spoilers there. But over the course of the book, I'm going to point out how Bryce not only embraces the masculine, but she feminizes the masculine, turning her into the ultimate weapon. Does that make sense? No. Will it later? maybe not
0: i can kind of see it yeah
1: because right now like when we think the masculine which i'll get into like why danica represents the masculine and i don't think that that's like too far off of a notion you can kind of guess where i'm going with that bryce is going to adapt these but she never loses her quote-unquote femininity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so turn it into the fem (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) she's goals basically Before we get into Danica, I want to point out writing perspectives. This is in third person, meaning the narrator exists outside of characters or events of the story. That being said, there's three different types of third person. You have omniscient. They are the all-knowing and they know all the inner thoughts of all characters. Then there's third-person objective. This narrator reports on events without knowing the thoughts or motivations of characters until it's revealed. It's very matter-of-fact. Then you have limited third-person, and that's what we have here. It's the narrator is still outside the events, but does not know the emotions and motivations everyone else. But it still has one character that they focus on. Think Harry Potter. Now, why is that important? Because even though this is third-person, it's third-person Bryce. And the description of Danica's harsh as hell. It is. Right? There are some really harsh
0: descriptions of Tanika in this, like, episode.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to quote, I'm going to give you two quotes. The first one. A fist that Bryce knew ended in metallic purple painted nails in dire need of a manicure. Rude.
0: They have the kind of friendship where they're not afraid to call each other out on their shit.
1: But I don't think that's the
0: shit you call each other out on. <laughs> that's uh... She's a different kind of friend. That's not, that's not. That's not the kind of friend you want.
1: No. The other quote, Danica didn't just look like she was rooting through the garbage. She smelled like it too. All right, that one I would like to be told.
0: Yes, you don't like outside smells.
1: I really hate outside smell. So Danica is dirty, unpolished, wearing her fighting clothes. Everything Bryce isn't. And there's something underlining very judgy here from Bryce. Also, we find out right away that Danica is a leader. So powerful that she's going to skip her mom to become prime apparent. We're going to get way more into that. and But most importantly, she's a leader of a mostly male pack. And Danica is the masculine. Is Bryce having issues with Danica herself or with the masculine that Danica represents? Stay tuned and find out.
0: Yeah, I have thoughts. I can't wait to discuss it later. You can say thoughts now. If you oh, want. can I? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Bryce complains later on, I think in chapter three, that she doesn't want to be with an alpha hole male, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And alpha hole comes up a lot. It's really, really cute. I'm really proud of SJM for coming up with it if she did.
1: But her best friend is an alpha hole.
0: Her best friend is an alpha hole. And she flat out says it at like the beginning of chapter three, which I will discuss. So Bryce is just going to call things as they are. She's she's does not hold back. And that is true for Danica. And I think she sees in Danica qualities she would never accept
1: in a male. Mm. Yeah, she would never accept it as a male, but she'll accept it with her best friend. Yep. Who's her love interest? I don't know.
0: I have thoughts on this. Yeah. A little bit later. Yeah. I don't know if this is relevant, but when I was rereading chapter one, I wanted to note the first two individuals we were introduced to other than Bryce. Which are Danica and Lahaba. Now, Danica's out in the heat. Like, it's a really hot summer day. She's complaining that she's out there. Lahaba is also a literal flame. Also, side note Bryce's mother's name is Ember, like the Ember of a Fire. Mm. There's a lot of heat and fire imagery going on right now because mm-hmm. she's hot. <laughs> she is hot. Danica's name, as I mentioned prior, means morning star, which is a type of weapon. Lahaba in Hebrew means flame tip, tip of a weapon, a point or head of a spear. And both of them die? I say that because I assume we've all read this book already. Are Danica and Lahaba perhaps more connected than I initially realized when I read this book? And I don't know the answer to that,
1: but I pose the question. Okay. What if? So Lahaba, you're saying it means like tip of a, yeah, the flame, a flame tip of flame a weapon, tip, right? So you could say she's a tool. She's a tool for Bryce to succeed later. Yeah, and she's a plot device tool.
0: Yep, she sure is. And you she's, know who else is?
1: Danica. No. Oh yeah, I was like <laughs> Danica. No, who is it? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it kind of makes. I mean, it would be really harsh if that was the case, but which it might be where. She kind of has one role, and that's to sacrifice herself at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which is really sad because I, I sob every time I read that
1: part. Will you cry for the season? I don't know.
0: I, I don't know how to cry on camera.
1: God willing.
0: <laughs> or on microphone.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> the best part is we're not doing the prep like we were. It's true. So I can't cry before the episode. <laughs> so I'll cry live. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yay. Bryce's employer, Jessaba
0: Roga, gets mentioned early on. We learn Jessiba is a 400-year-old enchantress who defected from the witches and turns people who irritate her into animals, which is a skill I would love to have. Jessaba Roga sounds a lot like Baba Roga, not to be confused with Baba Yaga. Baba Roga stems from Southern Slavic folklore. She's a witch and a potential sister to Baba Yaga. I couldn't get clarity on that. And is often mixed up with Baba Yaga. Baba Roga employs animals to do her work. Like Jessica Roga turns people into animals. And she visits children while they sleep to make sure they have pleasant dreams, but if they wake up, she scares them back to sleep. I just wanted to bring this all up because it just paints a picture of who Jessica Roga is. Like she's always threatening Bryce, always threatening to turn her into a pig. But is
1: actually like really caring on the side. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And like in a way, I really feel like Bryce looks up to Jessica. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same way that I look up to Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that she tries to emanate her. Yeah, I agree. You know, like this put together person that it's like, oh, fear. tell Danica to get her stuff out of my stuff. It's not what she said, but you get the gist. <laughs> I may not be Jessica, but if you were to turn. If you were to have a go-to animal to turn your victims into, what animal would you go for? A ferret. Because they have no spine and you can bend them more? That was really cruel of me. (laughs) I love ferrets.
0: I I think they're really, really cute. And I think that would be cuter than how irritating people are. But also if I needed to chop them in half, that would be easy. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was my thought process. (laughs) It
1: was oddly good and specific. I'm scared. What would you turn people into? I don't know, Amy. I don't know if there's an answer that can come after that. I'm scared to become a ferret. (laughs) Wait, is it because that Snape did that to, or no, not Snape, Mm, the fake Mad-Eye Moody? Oh, did that to Draco Malfoy? Mm -hmm. Uh, That was not what
0: I was thinking of when I...
1: But now I see it.
0: Now I see it. Yeah. I see the influence.
1: I'm going to go with ferret. I can't go with (laughs) ferret. I'm going to go with uh, bunnies. Oh. They poop a lot. Oh, I lost already.
0: <laughs> My
1: victims won.
0: They <laughs> so poop in your
1: bed. I know. <laughs> Damn it. I kill them and keep their feet. This is not who we are. <laughs> we have lost so many. Any new listeners have bounced. I PETA.
0: <laughs> oh. We could go into Norse mythology. There is a lot of that here. There's a lot of different types of mythology in this novel. However, we have to draw the line somewhere, and I'm drawing the line now. But
1: you can email us the things that we did not bring up.
0: Yes, absolutely. Please do. Instead, I'm going to talk about what we learn about the characters other than just their names. We start to see into Bryce's psyche pretty quickly. Early on in the chapter, Bryce has, quote, sharp half-fae hearing, which one would consider a good thing. But then on the flip side, Bryce doesn't have the benefit of, quote, being a full-blooded veneer with swift recovery time compared to humans or a half-human like Bryce. So all of a sudden being half-fae is not good enough. We're going to see this a lot, not only the fact that Bryce is going to be told or reminded Of her deficiencies, but she's also going to struggle to embrace both her human and phase sides with
1: equal appreciation. It makes sense why she would be attracted to Danica as a friend or more, (laughs) because Bryce is so insecure about being half veneer. Of course, she would be friends with someone who was super duper veneer.
0: Oh, yeah. Like overtly veneer, like through the roof veneer.
1: Yeah. veneer,
0: Vaneer. not veneers like teeth.
1: Oh, veneer. I'm um, just found my word for the season. I'm going to struggle <laughs> with. Finally, have a character name that I can pronounce. Yay! Veneer. 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 At least Damn that's it.
0: how it's pronounced on the audiobook. Veneer. Yep. Okay. You got it. Thank you. I have to call out the fact that Danica leaves her sword quote famed both in this city and far beyond it. Whatever that means. In a supply closet next to a broom and a mop. On one hand, Danica views this mighty object, like the tool that it is, that to her probably seems pretty normal, like a broom or a mop. Except it's a family heirloom, like we don't treat family heirlooms like a broom or a mop. On the other hand, Danica has discarded the object that symbolizes her power, not bothering to take it with her to the city head meeting later on that she goes to. On the other hand, she's discarded the object that symbolizes her power, not bothering to take it with her to the city head meeting later on. It's a curious move on Danica's part, or at least curious to me. Does she think trouble is coming her way? And I ask myself that question a lot in this episode. The opposite thought I had was, does... Diana could go without the sword to appear submissive, knowing she could be trot for her treasonous behavior at any moment, which we haven't even started to dive into yet. And my last thought, or is it just really convenient for SGM? <laughs> because she needs Bryce to have that sword later
1: on. Uh, right. I, You know, something that you said that I'm just like, next episode or whenever. I Can't remember when we cover things. But... The entire time I was reading this, I'm like, does Danica know she's going to die?
0: Because
1: it reads like, yes. Mm -hmm. But the way that she died, maybe she didn't know she was going to die that night. Yeah. Because I don't think she would want all of her pack to die with her. Right. But this definitely, I mean, she had Bryce get the tattoo. Right. Like, she was setting things up so that Bryce would be set.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you that more than likely she didn't expect to die the night that she dies, right? Mm-hmm. She was caught off guard because she would have put up more of a fight if she knew. However, she is acting like every moment is the last moment that she has with Bryce.
1: Yeah. This is all the same night. Yeah. I did not register that until we were doing the analysis. Where I was like, wait, all of this is, is the first night. It's just one night.
0: I, yeah, one day. One day. The first, like, five, six chapters are all the same evening.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. So trippy. But it's done really well. It's done very well. So as to, like, why Danica leaves the sword there, immediately I was like, this is such a boy move. (laughs) Like, you're just proving the point that Danica's the masculine here. But I can't tell if this is supposed to make her cool or not cool. And I think that's kind of the point. Again, we're getting this from Bryce's limited third-person perspective. So that's why I think we're getting some of that cool girl vibes. Like, Danica just left this super awesome sword in the supply closet. Eh. <laughs> I don't know. Why I regret doing that. <laughs> when I first read it, I thought, like, wow, Danica's so humble. Like, she's not the she's not ruled by power. She doesn't care that she's going to be the prime apparent. And I think that that was swayed by Bryce when in actuality danica's so not respectful and i don't mean of like her mother or the institution necessarily but respectful of the power that she has mm-hmm. or she is and she's just setting bryce up to no because she no because we know for a fact she's done this before yeah she so has done it before i take it back you're not respectful danica them. well
0: and i think that's a symptom of what it means to be veneer
1: is whoa
0: they treat humans like trash and have humans like trash because they take for granted what they have but yeah. they know that humans don't have it and therefore it's justified it's it's
1: a fucked up mindset it's like veneer privilege yeah. without even realizing they have this veneer privilege veneer they- pri- privilege and the way that they act is just so like they wouldn't think of anything else.
0: Right. We're not going to get into this, but it's a lot like race privilege.
1: Well, that's what I was saying, like veneer privilege but I was thinking white privilege.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's, it's identical.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think it absolutely spot on is ooh spicy analysis. <laughs> <laughs> We're hardcore
0: I want to acknowledge for a moment that the first time we see the sword is right now at the start of the book when Danica leaves to use the restroom in the library below the antique shop. The next time we see the sword, the book is going to be like 80% done. But a cool mirror shows up. Bryce and Lahaba will have just bought precious seconds of time by locking Micah in the same bathroom that Danica goes to shower in. Mm. And that's when... Bryce retrieves the sword it just Mm -hmm. feels like very a
1: good parallel yeah it's very book ending right? like we're starting it off with this and that's how this book is going to end too exactly yeah
0: I want to point out also that the number seven gets thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. a lot in this novel in a myriad of different ways throughout the series the first time it is mentioned is in this first chapter when we're when talking about the seven city heads In numerology, the number seven is mysterious and spiritual. In biblical terms, it symbolizes completion and perfection because, you know, God created the earth in seven days. I'm just going to point that out. I'm going to talk later about more numbers. Just like about more names. So get ready.
1: So if someone is like, hey, do you think Jack's super hot? And I'm like, nah, I think she's a seven. I'll be like, well, fuck you, because that is a super cool number. Yeah,
0: that means I am perfection.
1: So what you're really saying is that I'm perfect. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's the exact right answer. I love that. <laughs> I really wish I had that growing up when I got C's on tests. Oh. The way you said that is the way that someone who never got a C on a test said says it. Am I right? You're right. Yep. (laughs) You're right.
0: I was thinking, so I did the IB program and the top grade you can get is a seven. Just, I was thinking about that at that moment.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense.
0: One of the constant themes that I've been seeing while reading the Crescent City series, but also House of Earth and Blood is how one can lie with the truth which we're all familiar with, <laughs> especially when that individual is Danica. We see it a lot in this episode and also here in this first chapter. Danica is anxious about Philip Briggs's release. Instead of being mad about his release because he's dangerous, in actuality, she's worried about him ratting her out for letting him off easy in the past. At least that's my theory. Our listeners ask us how we feel about Danica. And as I said in yesterday's live, how is she any different from Reese with Feyre or Zayden with Violet or Violet with her friends in Fourth Wing? All these characters are cut from the same
1: cloth. When you compared Zayden and Violet to Danica and Bryce, it was so good it hurt my feelings.
0: (laughs) Good. I wanted you to hurt.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The the season's going to be painful. Yeah, it is. Uh, But it was such a good comparison where you're like, they're not. Obviously, they're not bad. Yeah. But you can't say they're good. Yeah. But I am willing to justify actions. Yeah. I would say Danica's the true
0: gray, morally gray character of this book.
1: Mm, I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to say,
0: I'm going to agree with that. And it's not the kind of gray morals that we would expect maybe from a male character. But I think that she really embodies what it means to be gray.
1: Yeah, I think so. I agree with that, especially since. Well, I don't know, because all of her actions at the end of the day are so noble.
0: But do the ends justify the means?
1: No, I don't know. Well, stick around this season. (laughs) We'll see if we answer our own
0: question. Right.
1: I want to talk about Bryce and Danica's relationship. These are clearly two best friends who love each other. But I also made it clear in chapter one that there's this toxic element here. That doesn't mean there isn't some good, but it's also setting us up later to see just how unhealthy this relationship is. Bryce looks at her own dirty, smelly clothes that she left at work and thinks about like why she didn't bring them home. Quote, mostly thanks to Danica sending her a video of a heap of mirth root on the kitchen counter, music already blasting from the beat up boom box by the window, along with the command to hurry home quick. Bryce obeyed. They smoked enough that there was a good chance Bryce had still been high yesterday morning when she stumbled into work. Now, I know that Danica did this so that Bryce would be high enough to get that super special tattoo. I see what you're doing, Danica. But it's also messed up that Bryce didn't question or push back. Mm -hmm. Like, that's clearly something that they do enough that she's like, all right. Like, if I had sent you a text, be like, hey, get over here. We're going to smoke a shit ton of weed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You'd be like this isn't like who are you this is not this is not jack right right however if it was sushi
0: yes but my my thought is this is a really good description that paints a picture of who these people are who mm-hmm. danica and embrace are, because i know people who are like that yeah who are like come smoke a bunch of weed with me oh okay yeah. like no question no, I mean, and, and it, it and it tells us who they are.
1: It tell it absolutely tells us who they are, and it shows that Danica is the alpha, and Bryce follows, and that kind of brings me back to the fact that like the masculine and the feminine energy, the aggressive, the pusher, the pushy one and the assertive and then the meek one, the one who's going to follow along. And that's also elements of codependency, right? Like the one who's going to set the pace and the other one that's going to go along with it. We'll get more into that. But I think that's just such a good example of like, that is their lifestyle. But Danica is the one who's saying, get in something. We're going to the mall. What is that line again? Get in, bitch. Get in, idiot. No, get in. Or maybe it's just get in. We're going to the mall. I think it's something. So many people are mad at us right now. Get in, loser. We're going to the mall. There you go. You got it. You got it. There's not enough people to applaud me in this room.
0: (laughs) So I want to go back to that quote because I see what you're saying. And this is why I think SJM is really, really masterful. Because she's conveying these dynamics in their relationship. But she's also, she's telling us in the same breath, they're party girls. Yeah, and they have this persona, and they live up to it, and that's going to come back and bite Bryce in the ass a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. They remind me of the uh, what's that movie? The sweetest thing. I don't know. I haven't With seen Cameron it. Diaz. I haven't seen it. Really? God, you've seen? You haven't? <sighs> I know it's from the '90s. I know. That's just. I know. We'll 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 come back to Amy lived in China
0: or early 2000s.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> Amy grew up in China. <laughs> I did. There's a lot of lost years. <laughs> oh, by the
0: way. Anyone else notice how Pangera is one letter more than Pangaea? No, I didn't
1: like it. And <laughs> I still don't like it.
0: And I, cause I don't know why. Do you know what Pangea is? I do. You've got this look on your face like you had a revelation. Yeah. And is it multiverse related? Uh huh. Okay. Save it for the breadcrumbs. Oh, I'm not going to remember. Remind me. <laughs> okay. Now, as I mentioned before, numbers come up a lot in this book, and normally I would forget them. But because seven is so rife throughout this novel and this series, I had to pay attention to more numbers. For example, the 33rd Legion. This is the group of angels who serve Micah, in which Hunt Athalar is one of the angels. What's the significance of 33? Well, some people believe in angel numbers. And 33 in angel numbers means anything is possible. Oh.
1: Feels a lot like through love all is possible. Oh, my God. Also feels like
0: foreshadowing for this entire novel. Oh, my God. Especially when you think about Hunt and the uh, deal he's going to have with Michael later on. Yeah. Like anything is possible, Hunt. You can do it.
1: Yeah. 33...
0: Yeah, there's going to be more of that. This book is
1: out here making us act like Taylor Swift fans. I mean, we are Taylor Swift fans, (laughs) but like there's a 13, and there's like today I thought she was going to announce reputation. I mean, maybe she has. I haven't looked, but I doubt it. Counting the numbers.
0: Let's go back to Micah. His name is Hebrew for who is like God. Really, SJM? He's the archangel, he's like God. Okay. But let's bring it back to Danica for a moment. Danica, Morningstar, Lucifer. If Micah is like God, Mm -hmm. then Danica is the fallen, a.k.a. Lucifer, Mm -hmm. which we know to be true in Micah's eyes. Danica is constantly defying him and the Asteria and goes poking around into their shit instead of respecting them like all other Vainir. And Danica pays
1: the ultimate price for it, which we all know is death. And it's like opposite day where micah who's like god is actually the bad guy and danica who is morning lucifer is actually the good guy and it's just like a nice big old flipperoo and what does that mean that's like that feels heavy that feels like a lot that feels like sjm working through her own religious crises <laughs> but but like
0: just in this first chapter there is still in chapter one so much content yeah and sjm's little not little brain, big brain Mm -hmm. is working over time. There are just so many clues. Like it's so much more layered than any other book
1: she's written. I mean, it's a whole lot of world building, but it's a whole lot of world building with more and more like character development, dynamic development, Mm -hmm. world building numbers. It's yeah. It's amazing. It's great.
0: Last little, uh, piece of fun information before we go into chapter two humans live in asphodel meadows now asphodel is a flower and it's considered an immortal flower said to grow in the elysian fields greek mythology and a favorite food of the dead i just had to point that out because apparently humans are just cannon fodder for everybody else
1: damn right (laughs) You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> no, I forgot for a second that I'm not veneer. <laughs> what kind of veneer would you
0: be? Um, that's an excellent question. I feel like I would be a fawn, because I'd want to be really strong, but I'd have to work really hard.
1: No way you'd be a fawn. You don't think so? No, they're not murder. No, they're not murdering enough. <laughs> that's <laughs> like,
0: what are you gonna do? Like back kick someone? Like, and maybe I would be an angel. Is
1: that that's conceited too? No i can see you i can see you as jessica's apprentice a witch yeah okay i see you as a witch there we go i feel like that's that's appropriate yeah how about you i think we both be angels now (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what i am probably a wolf but that's only because i'm listening to an alpha omega romance right now and that's what's on my mind
0: i understand So I'm sorry to say, even though we've made it to chapter two, we are not done with name analysis. (laughs) I can't help it. SJM is so notorious for leaving clues in the names she chooses. So I'll start with Connor Holstrom. Connor means love of wolves or master of hounds. Oh, my God. It's a great character name for a character that's about to die. It's just like so much wasted effort.
1: (laughs) Ethan should have been
0: Connor. Connor. And Connor should have been Ethan.
1: (gasps) Did we even look up what Ethan means? Uh, No, I have not. It's probably like second best little bitch boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, while there's a lot of world building in this chapter, just like there was in chapter one, there's also a lot of setup and breadcrumbs for the plot of the novel. Check out the breadcrumbs. It is long. And I I don't apologize because SJM (laughs) was so good. And how much she put in there.
1: We did discuss on whether to keep them, and you made a good point of like these are quite these are breadcrumbs. It might seem obvious to us. Right. But they're breadcrumbs.
0: But but the first time you read the novel, it flies over your head. You have oh no God. idea.
1: Yeah, I was still stuck on the fact that there was a werewolf. <laughs> like
0: what the hell's happening? We also see flashes of Bryce's inner war all throughout this chapter. Quote. Bryce as half fae could scent people in greater detail than the average human, but her abilities had nothing on her friends. We're starting to see not only Bryce struggling with appreciating and hating her fae side, she can't decide if she appreciates herself more or hates herself more, but we're also starting to see that side of her that compares herself to Danica and views herself, Bryce, as lacking. There are just going to be a lot of unspoken comparisons that are indicative of Bryce's own securities, and both Jack and I are going to talk about that. Although I think you have a different twist on it than I do. Yeah. I say this for two reasons. One, Bryce is a confident badass whom I love and adore, but we all have insecurities. It's what makes Bryce human and relatable. And two, SJAM could have written the same scene that I just quoted above without the comparison. Or focused only on Danica's abilities if she didn't want to convey some sort of envy that Bryce was feeling towards Danica. hmm One of the good things about Bryce's human side, and Bryce is really good at rationalizing her appreciation or preference for her humanity, is that Danica, quote, would always have the burdens and expectations to shoulder that Bryce would never have to endure. When Danica fucked up, it was blasted on news reports and across the interweb. And I couldn't save that for the breadcrumbs, and I'm just going to say poor Bryce. You might believe that now, but it's all about to change. Oh, that
1: hurts. Yeah, it is going to change. Yeah. And she really struggles with that in book two. Yeah, she does. I mean, yeah, it changes for so many reasons, but that that was good. That was great.
0: Thanks. did a great job. Thanks.
1: I'm going to continue the conversation of Bryce and Danica's friendship and the balance between the masculine and the feminine. Danica emerges in her wolf form for literally no reason other than like SJM's like behold werewolf
0: (laughs) and she can talk in her wolf form yeah I thought that was
1: strange you know (laughs) like her mouth isn't made for that but okay I am on board though I have seen Homeward Bound (laughs) and Balto a fact that I forgot and freaked me out when I re-read it I was like oh my god what happened anyway I believe that Danica's wolf form is the ultimate masculine form. She's powerful. She's a leader. She's in charge as a wolf. Also, keep in mind that Danica is an alpha. She might be friends with Bryce, but Bryce is part of her pack, as I was saying earlier. It's why Danica is able to get Bryce to go out and party when she wants to, and why when Danica insists that Bryce keeps wearing the necklace that Jessica gives her, Bryce is like, okay. Like, sure, I won't question any of this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go along with it. I want to look at this moment. Quote, they strode onto the quiet street, a block off the istress, the midday sun baking the cobblestones. Danica, a solid wall of fur and muscle between Bryce and the curb. This is literally one of my favorite things that a guy does. When I'm on a date with them is that they go between me and the curb Mm -hmm. and it's like a protection thing. Like, trust me, yay feminism. But also when I'm on the sidewalk with a guy, I'm just like a pretty little princess and (laughs) he's protection from all the cars. (laughs) And that's what's happening right now. What's interesting about this moment, other than the obvious masculine protector versus feminine protected, is the relationship dynamic. Allow me to sprinkle in some of that queer theory that we've been... Wanting to discuss, and that is very much a move that happens in romantic relationships. No chance in hell have I ever thrown myself between you and the curb, Amy. No, probably not. Neither, I've never even thought about the street with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've never thought of the street with me. Am I saying that Bryce and Danica want to have sex together? No, but also not no. (laughs) uh, This is an interesting choice to include. Yeah. From SJM, it's such a small action, but can mean so much. Even the next couple pages, when Danica starts to become stressed, quote, Bryce lifted a hand and ran it down Danica's muscled ribs, a comforting, sweeping stroke. The feminine, the, com- the comforter, but also very intimate. But granted, Danica is a wolf right now, and it would be near impossible to treat a wolf, like to not treat a wolf like a puppy. Mm-hmm. Like if you were a werewolf. I would try to play fetch with you all the time.
0: Right. You'd probably also scratch me behind I'd my be ears. I'd be like, where's your belly? Yeah. Where's your belly?
1: Yeah. <laughs> 100%. But again, it's just that little bit of a that little stroke there. And I'm going to give you one final quote. Quote, Danica is unable to stop that alpha wolf's instinct to protect at all costs. Again, there's like a lot of relationshipy things happening here. Thoughts?
0: There really is. Um I'm really bummed that my notes about their relationship are further down because it feels really relevant to bring up right now. But later on in the episode, I'm going to argue that SJM perpetuates her formula of the first love dying.
1: Mm. And it's
0: not Con- Connor Holstrom, people. It's Danica Fendier.
1: Mm. Do you think it's queer, baby? A little bit.
0: But not really. But not, yeah. I, I think that... Some... Because they
1: never come off as like, we are together. Like, right. they make it very clear they both have guys that they're interested in.
0: Right. And Hunt flat out asks Bryce at some point in this book, like, did you were you ever with Danica in that way? And she says, no, it was just different between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And I do think that friendships can be on a soul level. Yeah, And
1: I think that's what these two have. Yeah. No, I get. Yeah, absolutely. It is funny because it's like, you know, we're best friends. But like you and I are also freakishly mentally aligned mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. where even when we both order s- different Starbucks orders on a day, we get the same thing Yeah, that we normally would not get. Yeah. It, it is like it is very entertaining. And so, like, I do understand when you have like someone that you're very close to that you have that brain frequency but that's where I go back to Danica and Bryce. There is something toxic there because Bryce doesn't know everything about Danica.
0: Right. Where Danica knows everything about Bryce.
1: And Danica's manipulating
0: Bryce. Yeah. It is a very uh, – Bryce is at a disadvantage in this relationship and she trusts Danica implicitly and that becomes a problem.
1: It's the same way when we talk about relationships, romantic relationships, where you have – one person who is the one who's in power, the powerful one, the one who's, whether that's through job or age or money, and then the one who's not in power. And it's really hard to have those relationships be equal. Yeah. And not have their, not have the power dynamic influence it. And you can see that in this friendship. Yep. I agree. So in chapter
0: one, we get a sense that Bryce doesn't like Sabine and we did not talk about it. I wanted to talk about it now because we see it again in chapter two what we learn is that quote bryce had loved danica from the moment her new roommate at ccu had offered her hand in greeting despite the fact that sabine had just sneered at her only child's improper half-breed roommate what this is telling me is that bryce or danica Use the words improper half-breed to describe Mm. Bryce. Because Sabine didn't say anything. She just sneered. That's fair. So
1: someone's interpreting it.
0: And and they might be right.
1: But... What if we find out that, like, Sabine's actually, like, this huge advocate on equality? (laughs) On race equality?
0: I mean, she's probably not. (laughs) But they interpreted... Either Bryce or Danica interpreted Sabine's actions. Yeah, Right? Sabine just might have been, like... I was hoping to see a hot guy,
1: and that was it. I wanted to sleep with my daughter's roommate. God.
0: <laughs> why won't And why Bryce I get is any not any my left? type, ew. right?
1: Ugh. Which is ridiculous. Bryce is everyone's type. Yeah, Bryce is everyone's type.
0: What this also tells me, though, is that Bryce loves Danica for accepting Bryce's human side, which maybe at this point in time in Bryce's life, she'd had a hard time doing because
1: that's the weaker side. And her fae father had just rejected her. Maybe there is something to be said about, like, it was a big deal for Danica to accept her. Because when I'm reading this, I'm just kind of like, well, no shit, Sherlock. Like, equality, peace for all. Yeah. You know? You know, and I don't think I'm saying anything revolutionary here. But you don't see Danica with friends with anyone else, like any other half-humans.
0: Right. And we don't know, do humans go to college? Yeah. We don't know. That's a
1: great question.
0: We don't know if Bryce was really, really anxious about whether or not her roommate would be nice to her or want to kill her or want to change rooms. Like, there's a lot that's unspoken there that I think we take for granted. Yeah, And so that moment, and it says, from that moment, Bryce and Danica are never apart. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was a core moment in Bryce's development is the moment that Danica said hi, shook her hand and and accepted her.
1: I mean, and talk about like the two things that each person needed Mm -hmm. where Danica, she's a natural alpha and her instinct to protect has probably always been there, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't an adult and she was probably under the thumb of her mother, right? Right. And Bryce, who always needed protection, never felt like she had it, not from a veneer before. But now the two of them, it's like both of them got to, like, live out their issues together. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God.
0: We're a perfect pair. (laughs) Let's match our issues together. (laughs) So at this point in the plot, Bryce begins hypothesizing that the power outage that occurred when Luna's horn was stolen was actually planned for that exact purpose, to steal the horn, which, spoiler, is on the nose. And Danica (laughs) was the one to steal it. So, of course, what happens? Danica tries to throw Bryce off the scent under the guise of wanting to keep Bryce safe, which for the record is probably genuine but still messed up. Danica has a secret. Bryce is starting to pick it up, and Danica's like, "Well, you know, that's a bad idea. Don't even think about it. She's a little
1: twitchy tail,
0: yeah, she does have a twitchy tail, a
1: little twitchy tail. uh, I think maybe you
0: should like not look on that, focus on that." She says to Bryce, quote, if they're able to do something like that, a.k.a. stealing the horn, I'd suggest staying away. Something I noticed during my reread, and I wonder if you noticed this. Whenever Luna's horn is brought up, Bryce will touch the golden pendant she wears, the Archesian amulet, which we will learn later in the novel, is what is keeping the presence of the horn in Bryce's back hidden. Every time. Every time the horn gets mentioned, Bryce, something about that amulet is brought up. There's nothing for you
1: to throw at me. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point. And there's so much electronics between the two of us. I will find a way to throw something (laughs) at you later. That is such a good point and such a good catch.
0: And then immediately after that, Danica flat out tells Bryce, don't take that necklace off, especially if you're looking into shit like the horn. Yeah. Someone sound the alarm because that's a fucking breadcrumb. Like, really? Danica is flat out telling us what we need to know right now. And it's a good thing Bryce has never taken off the necklace since she got it from Jessica three years ago, which is a whole other nugget you should remember for the future.
1: That's such a good... Uh, I mean, it's so funny, like, reading it now, knowing what we know. It's just, like, so glaring.
0: Yeah, it's so obvious. But we know nothing It's like The Sixth Sense. Once you've seen it, you're like, everything is so
1: obvious. Yeah, I
0: can't unsee it now.
1: Yeah. But SJM isn't catering to the reread. She's writing for the initial read.
0: I actually think the opposite.
1: Okay, I agree because I regret saying what I said. But yes. I think she's catering to the reread. Agreed. Because what's happening
0: right now as we're rereading this book is we finally have the information Danica had. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we now are able to see all the pieces and how they all line up. Yeah. At the first time we read this book, we we are Bryce. We know nothing. Mm-hmm. But the second time we read it, we're Danica. And we then have the information. The
1: third time we read it, we are Jack and Amy. And <laughs> <laughs> but it is true where I think my sentiment was mixed up. But yes, like that is yeah. what uh I do believe that SJM did that and the way that she does it is that every single time you read it you catch more Mm -hmm. and talk about skill yeah to do that it is a big book and there is no wasted space there is no there is a
0: clue everywhere like every every page yep sometimes multiple times on a single page sometimes Mm -hmm. multiple clues in a single paragraph like it's overwhelming actually Yeah. yeah Um, as you are all about to be overwhelmed when we get to breadcrumbs, like it's it's mind-boggling.
1: It makes our breadcrumbs easy and overwhelming, but it's definitely better than like back in Akatar, where it's like here are three, (laughs) and this is all we got. This is all you have.
0: Now that Danica is out of her wolf form Mm -hmm. and she's showered, she's wearing a white silk blouse with stained jeans. While the blouse is Bryce's blouse, and maybe Danica had no choice, that was the only other piece of clothing that was available, I want to go back to our discussion about the sword being placed in the supply closet. From the perspective of power, Danica's aura has changed. Gone is the band shirt and the leather jacket, which is edgy, which is... I'm a cool girl. Yeah, and feels powerful.
1: Yeah. A leather jacket feels powerful. I made fun of it, but, like, I, too, have a band shirt and leather jacket. That's one of my token outfits.
0: <laughs> Instead, now, Danica is wearing white, which is a symbol of purity, innocence, and silk, which is delicate. By changing her outfit, Danica changes the aura of power she might normally possess. And I think she's attempting to seem demure, as if she's innocent when we know she's not. Especially when she's about to go see the heads of the city who could punish or execute her for what she has done. This is made obvious by her stained jeans. She's guilty of many deceits. Like the jeans are, are
1: stained. <laughs> They're not
0: guilty of deceit. And one of those deceits is stealing the horn.
1: Yeah. I think it's spot on. And I want to add to your point. The last we see of Danica, she's dirty and gross. And then when she comes back, she's in a wolf form, right? She's wearing Bryce's clothes underneath the fur. And to me, it's almost like a power play, that transition mm. between dirty to I'm wearing your clothes. She had no point of coming out as a as a wolf. Yeah, except to make herself feel powerful. Unless Bryce would have been like, don't wear my shirt. Right. Now they're out on the street. I right. don't think Bryce would have said, don't wear my shirt. But it just feels like a power play because she's changing her aura and she's proving a point by starting out as a wolf and then changing into her humanoid form. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, I mean, I would never say no. Whenever people try to like borrow my shirts and stuff, I'm like, might be baggy on you. That is, that is me low key being like, I got big boobs. <laughs> you do. I do. But it is always like when I, when someone borrows my shirt, it is like, it's
0: not going to fit you the way it fits me.
1: <sighs> Interesting that that wasn't even brought up. So, like, what we're going to get into more Bryce's like body confidence that I would love to emulate. As someone who is mid-sized girly herself, who has big boobs, whenever I lend friends clothes, it is always a, hey, this is going to be baggy on you. She Not once is that mentioned with that shirt. Because why would Bryce mention it? Yeah. It's not an insecurity for her.
0: God, she's so cool. I actually feel the opposite.
1: You think it is an insecurity for mm-hmm, her? I do. Because she doesn't mention it?
0: I... Wait till my chapter three notes. Okay, let's keep going. While Danica's been focused on making sure Bryce makes smart choices that don't get her into trouble, we learned that Bryce has been trained by her military stepfather. Going back to something that you said about Bryce making things that are masculine feminized and weaponized by making them feminized. Yeah. Which I really liked. Quote, Bryce had hit up the gun range just a few days ago. She'd learned that for a human, a gun could mean the difference between life and slaughter. Not death, slaughter. We're going to get regular reminders that Bryce knows how to handle a gun, and it's important that we know this from the start, given how the last 25% of this book goes. SJM, always laying the groundwork, even when giving backstory that seems relevant for a small blip in the beginning. Look at that. Yeah. It's also a visual declaration that Bryce has the ability to be powerful, even if it's through the use of a physical weapon and not magical powers. Though a gun may be less powerful than magic, she is more capable than someone without a gun. This just comes back to the whole half-fae, half-human discussion. Bryce does have something. She just happens to not be full-veinier.
1: So go with the magical process that is my thought process. Okay. I'm jumping to the end of the book. Okay. We were talking about Bryce feminizing masculine weapons. And I think there's going to be a combination of like masculine weapons that she feminizes and then and then masculizing feminine weapons. Here's an example of that. How does she get rid of Micah? With a vacuum. Oh, it's true. <laughs> we're seeing this in the beginning. We're going to see it at the end. Yeah. Where she uses... She she womanizes, feminizes weapons. There's gonna We'll have a better term for this by the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. Give, give us some time. We're working it out. Yeah. Something that struck me during this reread is that Bryce actively witnesses Danica lie to her mother, Ember. Now, I know I use actively, redundantly, but let me stress how good of a liar Danica is and how Bryce doesn't blink an eye. Because right now, the lying benefits Bryce. And how quickly those tables will turn when Bryce realizes that that same lying has been used on her. She doesn't Mm. like it so much.
1: Mm -mm.
0: Ember and Randall, Bryce's stepdad, are supposed to come visit Bryce for the weekend, which Bryce doesn't want because of the threat of Philip Briggs. Quote, hey, B must have forgotten to tell you that we're actually heading down to Kalaxos this weekend. Ethan's got a sunball game there, and we're all going to go cheer him on. Bryce even acknowledges that this is a half-truth.
1: Bryce also justifies slash takes on the lie by saying she doesn't want her parents to come to the city when Briggs is free. And I had to reread the scene trying to see if Bryce was the one who told the lie initially, because it just almost like the justification and these words roll off the tongue so quickly for her, where it's like she takes on Danica's lie. It is now her lie as well immediately. Yeah. 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 Take what you want with that. Thank you for listening to part one of this week's episode of Book Talk for Book Talk. We encourage you to rate and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. Tune in Thursday for part two, where we finish covering this week's chapters. We
0: would love to hear your thoughts based on today's conversation. You can submit your comments to our form at booktalkforbooktalk.com for a chance to have your feedback discussed during a future mini
1: episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please visit our website, booktalkforbooktalk.com, to view our latest merch and learn about supporting the show through Patreon, Ko-Fi, or Venmo. Bye. Bye!